Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you. God bless you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great season in the life of our church. The schools are rolling back into session with the fall coming on. And here we're beginning a new teaching series on the weekends. And I want to look at a subject that I don't think I've ever preached about in a sustained way over a series before. Because my experience with this topic when I was young was not good. My, my experiences, whenever someone talked about holiness was that they were trying to manipulate and control my behavior to get me to do what they wanted. I had Sunday school teachers who would talk about holiness when they especially wanted us to quiet down and sit in our chairs. And in general, talk of holiness felt to me like oppressive religious indoctrination so as to manipulate children to do things like clean their rooms and be polite to their parents. So I haven't spent a lot of time in my preaching career talking about holiness because I associate it with a kind of pedantic kindergarten-level Christian education. But I've recently been studying the biblical teachings on holiness because God says, be holy as I am holy. This is in uh, first in Leviticus, and then later um, Paul will reiterate, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 1 Peter 1.15, uh, don't go back and be conformed to what you were before you knew Christ, but instead be set apart and be holy. The, the Bible teaches that we should be holy. It calls us to holiness. What I had never done before is sit and reflect at length on what that looks like and means. And I think it's kind of like this. When my kids were little, I realized that there, were a, there was a, a stratification of qualities of chocolate in the world. And there was chocolate that children would eat. And it really didn't matter what it came, where it came from or what it was made of. And then there's chocolate made from pure, unadulterated cacao, processed in Belgium, touched by the hands of angels, and delivered only to those few who know where to find it. And when I would get some of this top-notch premier dark chocolate, 70% cacao is the only kind to eat, I would put it on a top shelf in my pantry where my children could neither touch it nor see it. I set this chocolate apart from the Hershey's and the Nestle's and the Cadbury and all the stuff that I'd put on the bottom shelves where the kids could get it. I was not going to eat the orange-wrapped pumpkins that they picked up on Halloween. There was a specific level of Ghirardelli, Godiva, Moseroth chocolate. This is way off topic from a biblical subject today. There was a, a kind of chocolate that I was going to set apart from my children because it was just different. Well, my children have grown up, and both of them are now taller than me. Not that that was a high bar to begin with. But my, my daughter came home and visited last week, and I opened my pantry and I discovered that someone had put really good chocolate 
on a shelf that is higher than I can reach. Because she knows now how to set things apart. Well, what if when God calls us to holiness, it is not to control our behavior and manipulate us, but to set us apart because we are so valuable and precious to him? What if, as you begin this new school year, this new season, this, this fall season, what if people looked at you and said, there's something different about this person? This person doesn't seem normal. And I mean in a good way. This person stands apart from the crowd as somebody who seems to have life a little bit more figured out or seems to understand and want to pursue healthy living or seems to live a gracious and loving and compassionate life that is beyond the pale. God calls us to be holy, not to constrain us, but to set us free because we are precious to him. You are so valuable to God that he would put you on a top shelf where only he could reach you. And so in this series, I want to look at the call to holiness and what it means for our lives. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you lived a holy life, that you stayed separate from the sin and brokenness of this world in the sense that you did not commit yourself to it. You did not stumble into it. But you walked this earth with us. You lived among the sinful and the broken, not to condemn us, but to redeem us. Not to dwell on our sins, but to pull us out of them that we might be holy as you are holy. In these coming weeks, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, purify our hearts and minds that we might live the free and graceful lives that you mean for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to spend the next three weeks looking at the subject of holiness. And I want to start in the beginning. Because in the Bible, holiness is associated with separation. It's based on God's initial act of separating things. If you read the creation story, the creation begins with God separating things one from another. God separates the, the light from the darkness. God separates the land from the waters and the waters below from the waters above. There's this process of establishing places for life and separating out that which is chaotic. Holiness begins with the creative initiative of God, creating spaces in which for us to play, in which for us to love and grow and discover. And then God calls a people into being. He chooses Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis and says, you will be my people and I will give you land and I will give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky or grains of sand on the beach. I will set you apart from those who do not know me, and you will be a holy people, my chosen people. And the story of the scriptures is God's people expanding as representatives of God on the earth, as those who receive God's word and God's presence and communicate God's will to the world. They are chosen for this role. 
By the time Jesus walks the earth, however, there is a group of people called the Pharisees. And remember in Hebrew, Pharisees is peroshim, which means the set-apart ones. They are called the holy ones because they believe in living such an intense legalistic kind of faith that you do not interact with sinful people. You do not interact with the adulterers or the tax collectors or the Samaritans. You must keep Israel separate from the nations around them so that it will not be polluted. If it becomes polluted, it will lose God's blessing and fall apart. And so they are the gatekeepers of righteousness. They are the one who stands at the door of the church to prevent admission from those who would pollute its worship. The Pharisees have come to see separation as an act of pulling good people away from bad people. And we can read the Gospels and see it as painted in fairly black and white. We know who the good guys and the bad guys are. But we fail to realize how many of us have followed in the footsteps of the Pharisees. The modern manifestation of Phariseeism is when we live lives that keep us separate from those broken and sinful people out there, and we do it without knowing it. Many of us live in neighborhoods where we never have to interact with the poor by virtue of the cost of living in our neighborhoods. We separate ourselves out from sinners by keeping our own sins under the carpet and living a socially appropriate life as much as people can, can tell. We, we try to cordon off our communities with, uh, with homeschools so that our children aren't polluted with bad ideas and bad influences. And sometimes our cities are literally laid out to keep us separate. Do you realize here in the city of Glendora, for those of you who live here, there are exits from the freeway at the extreme ends of the city, but not in the middle. You cannot get off the freeway and access the middle of Glendora. And that is an intentional layout to keep Glendora separate from the world out there on the freeway. Have you ever thought about the fact that your very lifestyle might be defined by a geographic layout that is designed to keep you separate from? And that is all Phariseeism. That's all a will to keep ourselves separate from those broken, dangerous, scary people out there. Look at the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Who did he associate with? Who were his friends? He went to Samaritans, those people whose beliefs were wrong, whose practices were wrong, who had marred the history of God's people and would lead people through uh, lead people astray to, to bad doctrine. Jesus went to the Samaritans. Jesus went to the tax collectors, those who had betrayed the Jewish people to support Rome that ruled over and oppressed the Jewish people. Jesus went to the tax collectors. Jesus protected the woman caught in adultery, the sinful woman who, who according to the law, should be put to death to keep Israel holy. Jesus protected her and associated with Jesus' friends were exactly that circle of sinners that the Pharisees wanted to keep out. And if you and I are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus today, we'd better keep straight who our friends are, who our friends are supposed to be, and what we're really supposed to stay separated from. 
Holiness is not a call to exclude sinful and broken people. It is to live life by the principles of a different kingdom. I want to look at a couple of biblical passages that describe holiness as Christ would lay it out for us and not uh, as the Pharisees would. And I want to begin this series and this this, uh, sermon today in a prayer of Jesus from the Gospel of John chapter 17 at verse 11. Jesus is praying for his disciples because he knows he's about to be crucified and ascend into heaven. And here's what he says. He's praying to the Father, and he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but my disciples are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Think of the power of the prayer of God in human form, the Messiah just before he leaves this world. Think about how important these words are to him. I'm not going, I'm leaving the world, but my disciples are going to be in the world. Now, down in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And in Greek here, it doesn't say of the world, it says out of the world. It says ek I am not out of the world. Uh, 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 they are not out of the world. And the concept here when they say they are not out of the world is like when, when we say it's, it's ma- something is made out of something else. Uh, that guitar over there, what's it made out of? It's made out of mahogany. Isn't it beautiful? Right? We, it's made out, of, it's crafted out of the material of something else. And so my disciples are not made out of the stuff of this world just as I am not made out of the stuff of this world. They are something different. They are, they are from somewhere else. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Now, this is a play on words. They're not made out of the world, and I'm not praying that you take them, remove them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My disciples are going to be in the world, but not made out of the world. Jesus says. What does that say about our separation from the world? He's clearly not painting a picture of us refusing to be around sinful and broken people. That's how he lived. Instead, he wants to create a community of people who live by different principles. This, again, is the picture of the early church, which I read to you, I think, last week in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christians were identified as being separate from the world because they lived lives of generosity and self-sacrifice without worry. They lived lives of grace and freedom. They lived lives believing that everything they needed had already been provided for them so that they could live lives of generosity to the world around them. That was the kind of separation that the, with which the church was first envisioned. 
That's how we first lived as a people and how we are called to live today. Not that we would be Puritans who punish those who have lived broken lives, but that we would live without worry and without anger, live gracefully to love those who most need it. It strikes me that there are two kinds of holiness we are talking about here. One is holiness for its own sake. And by that I mean, when you see those religious guys bicycling through your neighborhood wearing neckties, even though it's 100 degrees outside, they are religious fashionistas, and they have decided that a certain kind of garb sets them apart from the world in a meaningful way. It's actually become absolutely meaningless, and it's a silly thing to do. But they've decided that that is how they shall be separate from the world so that everybody can see it. This is holiness for its own sake. Or again, there's a very sweet population that tends to live around Pennsylvania, and they won't drive cars or use phones because they believe that God wants them to stick with a certain level of technology that involves horses and buggies. Right? Not, not technology where you just have to walk. You can use the carriage, but not technology where you get to drive because that's too much technology. This is holiness for its own sake. While they are a very sweet people, that is a ridiculous way to live. Or again, uh, I, I saw someone uh, pursuing a kind of holiness for its own sake. Uh, there was a, a guy named Bob Jones, who was the founder of Bob Jones University, an ultra-conservative uh, university in the Southeast. And he once um, was describing C.S. Lewis the great Christian theologian and, and writer whose works have been printed in over 40 languages and millions of copies of his books are in existence and still read today. And Bob Jones, this very conservative uh, founder of this university, once said of C.S. Lewis, that man smokes a pipe and that man drinks alcohol, but I, I do think that he's a Christian. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Your, your sympathies there. There's a kind of holiness which is holiness for its own sake, so as to be seen by the world. And this was the holiness of the Pharisees, and Jesus condemned it. He said, do not let your holiness be like the holiness of the Pharisees, where you pray in public so that people will respect you, where you do your good work so that people will pat you on the back. Instead, Jesus says, do your good works in private that you might be rewarded by your Father in heaven. There's a holiness for its own sake, which is just for show. But the holiness that we are called to as followers of Jesus is a kind of holiness that sets us free and that empowers us and that pleases our Father. And that's the outline for the next three weeks. We are going to examine and pursue a kind of holiness that sets us free, that empowers us, and that pleases our Father. And I want to look today particularly at the idea that holiness sets us free because it runs so contrary to my early impressions that holiness was oppressive. It was behaviorism. It was, it was sin management. In the Bible, our, our call to live holy and separate lives is to set us free, not to put on a show for people to look at, not to control us and oppress us. Holiness exists to set us free. I remember the first time I saw this. When I was in high school, my church hired a youth pastor, and he was bright. He was intelligent. He had a college degree. He was funny. He got along well with people. But instead of pursuing money and achievement and career, 
he had given his life to being a youth pastor and working in a remote little corner of Texas where I lived with a tiny little youth group of people. I think the church could only pay him part-time because it was such a small church. And he seemed absolutely at peace with that. He knew that what he was doing was making a difference in the world. And my life was radically changed because of his life. I looked at that guy and I thought, this guy is absolutely free. He is not living with the anxieties and greed that I see all around me in the world. He is set apart by his freedom. Or again, I remember going to be an associate pastor in a church in Hawaii, and it was such a loving and graceful church that one of the marching orders of the church, one of the things that we said out loud as a staff, was that our church, if it were going to err, would err on the side of grace, not law. If we were going to make a mistake, we would make a mistake in the direction of grace, not law, of being too generous, not being too stingy, of being too loving, not being too legalistic. And there was a guy who joined our church who uh, had been a high-ranking officer in the military, and he had lived a rough life. Uh, Rough things came out of his mouth on a regular basis. He was not your standard uh, goody-two-shoes churchgoer he was an earthy kind of guy. And he was like that before he went into the military. He had lived a rough childhood and had a rough adulthood, and he was just rough around the edges. And he joined our church, and he began to change. And his behavior changed, and his tone softened. And he began to become more kind-hearted where before he had always been brash. And I remember him saying the words, you know, this church has been very healing for me. And that was one of the first times I realized how much true love has the power to heal. How much when when Jesus loves us and calls us into loving relationships, it is to heal us. And that guy became something different. He became more free because he became more holy. Look at Jesus and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus goes and spots Zacchaeus in a crowd, somebody who has been taking money from his own people to empower Rome and stealing money from them to make himself rich. He did not respect anybody and had lived an utterly selfish life. And Jesus says to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to have lunch at your house today. Here I am, a famous rabbi with all the crowds lining up to hear me. I'm picking you out of the crowds. You, the person that no one else likes, and I associate with you. I want people to see that I am your friend. And after a little time with Jesus, Zacchaeus opens up his hands. He says, I'm going to pay back everybody I've stolen from, and then some, and I'm not going to steal anymore. Zacchaeus was set free. And in turn, he set free the people he was oppressing. The first sign of the gospel taking root in our hearts is that we open up our hands and let go of our grip on this world because holiness is a call to freedom. The Apostle Paul would describe this in the letter to the Galatians where he talks about the fact uh, in Galatians uh, 3 that the law was like a nursemaid put in charge to control us until we might be led to Christ. He says, he says the, the law was 
a guardian. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Because in the ancient world, the, the Romans would hire a, what they called a pedagogos, a servant who was a nursemaid and a tutor and a disciplinarian to the children. And the pedagogos could control everything the children did, monitor their behaviors, make sure they ate their vegetables, discipline them if they did wrong, and be responsible for their education. It was absolutely the controlling of a child's behavior to bring them up right. But when the child became an adult, they no longer needed the pedagogos. They were now an adult of their own right and could stand on their own two feet. They could moderate their own behavior. And Paul uses that as an analogy for what God's law does for us as Christians. It disciplines us, it controls us, it shapes us, it manipulates us. But the day comes where we believe in Jesus. And by faith, we are set free from the law. We stand on our own two feet and live lives of grace because God has now set us free from the law. And that's the promise of holiness, that we are now set apart in Christ and made free in him. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. He's, he's referring to the fact that in the early church when people were, were baptized, they put on white clothes for their baptism day. Here at Real Life Church, if you're baptized here, we give you a t-shirt that says made new. You are literally clothed with the, the promise of what's happening in your heart as you believe in Jesus. What God wants for us when he calls us to holiness is not that he would control us, but that we would willingly clothe ourselves in him so that we look different and we live different. Not to be seen, but to be set free. It's like this. I had a little experience this summer, and um, uh, I, I, I have a little show and tell from it. Um, early this summer, a swarm of bees landed in my backyard. They landed in a little composter and decided to make it a home. And I told my family, I'm going to try a little experiment here. Don't throw rocks at the bees. Don't spray poison on the bees. Leave them alone. <coughs> and six weeks later, I got all dressed up, got the netting and everything, dressed up in gloves and everything to protect myself, and went outside and took the, the now fully developed honeycomb out of the composter and put it in one of those little bee boxes and extracted several jars of honey from this hive. Now, honey itself is sticky, but most people don't realize this. Bees also make a kind of sticky glue with which they seal all the openings to their hive. They, they protect and, and construct their hive with this kind of uh, this glue that they make, and it is extremely sticky. It is very strong. It's actually hard to get those things open once they've sealed them. And after spending a day out in the 100-degree heat, extracting honey from these hives, got stung twice, and getting this sticky glue all over me, I went inside and I had this old t-shirt on and I physically just could not get it off of me. Between the sweat and the sticky bee glue and everything else, I physically could not remove this shirt. And I felt gross and I felt dirty and I wanted to take a shower and I couldn't because I was trapped in this shirt. So you know what I did? I grabbed a pair of scissors and I just cut this thing right down the middle. It was the only way I was getting out of it. I took a pair of scissors 
and I cut myself out of my own shirt. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to set us free from the things that poison us and addict us and hold us down to set us free. And holiness is not an act of constraining us. It's an act of cutting us out of those dirty things that stick to us that stop us from that good, healthy, holy feeling of a fresh, clean shower. What if in this season, in these next three weeks, as we talk about holiness together, you and I together choose some part of our lives that we know we have held back from Christ because we're afraid to let go of it. And what if we take that thing and place it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, even this belongs to you. And I don't want anything in my life that is not from you. I don't want to be made out of the world, though I know I will continue to live in the world. If we pursue holiness in that way, Jesus will set us free. Think about it. I, I don't look at somebody who has struggled with addiction and who now refuses to drink alcohol and think, well, that person's a legalist. That person is so legalistic, they won't even drink you know, a glass of wine. I don't think that at all. I think that person is free. That person is finally free from the things that have held them down. Holiness doesn't restrict us, it sets us free. I, I know a woman in our church who went through a season of fasting from anger. She had struggled with anger and sarcasm and just, just bitterness for a long time in her life. And she went through a season where she fasted from anger. And every time anger or negative feelings started to rise up in her, she stopped and prayed. If she was mad at someone, she prayed for that person. And after this 40-day period of fasting from anger, she said people in her workplace literally said to her, something is different about you. You've changed. Well, you don't look at a person like that and think, look how legal, legalistic that person is trying to control their anger all the time. You look at that person and think they've been set free because what happened was that woman broke a spiritual bondage that was over her. A spirit of anger had taken hold of her. And if every time a spirit of anger prods you, you stop and pray, eventually it's going to be so frustrated with that behavior, it's going to give up. It doesn't want you praying. And what she did in that 40 days of fasting was to break the power of a spirit, spirit of anger over her. Not because she's legalistic, but because she wanted to be set free. Well, what if in this season, you and I take those things that we have withheld from Jesus for whatever reason and say, Jesus, I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to surrender my anger and my anxiety, my greed for money, my suspicion and distrust of other people. I want to be something different. I want to be holy, top shelf. I want to be set apart from the brokenness of this world, not to punish other people for their brokenness, but to be invited into a community that sets people free. If you have not already picked up one of our blessing cards, grab one if you're ever down here at the church, or you can make your own. On these cards, we're listing uh, eight people that we're praying for, that we're investing in, that we're being generous to, 
that we're inviting into the life of faith and inviting into a relationship with Jesus. Every single one of us should have people in our lives that we are intentionally focusing on to love them into God's kingdom. We as a holy people are set apart by the practices and behaviors that have been the characteristics of the church since the very beginning. We live lives of generosity and grace. We live lives of love, and we stop clinging to this world. We we take the parts of this world that have held us down and, and made us oppressed and gross, and we cut them away so that we might be clothed in Christ. If in this season, we focus on inviting the Holy Spirit in to purify us and make us holy, we will become the people that God made us to be, a people who at their very core are set free. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for calling us out of this world so that we are not made from the stuff of this world, but so that we might be made from the stuff of heaven. Jesus, make us a holy people. Strip away from us those things that hold us down, the things that we cling to that we don't need and should not have. Set us apart from this world so that we might experience all the freedom that comes from your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.